We're in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and this week we're on the topic of gentleness. In Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, Paul tells us, after contrasting the, the works of the flesh, the way we naturally live outside of the grace of God, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. As we're coming up to Christmas, the topic of gentleness is something that will be heard more and more. The, the, The old Christmas carol, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild, will be sung in... It's a, it's a children's carol. Uh, it'll be sung in many schools and in many churches. The idea of Jesus being gentle is something that I'd like us to look at this morning. In previous weeks, we've looked at how we need to be faithful, good, kind, and so on, and patient, and how we can learn from Jesus. But this week, we're focusing on Jesus and his gentleness And we will learn some things from that. Uh, We're looking at Jesus first rather than last um, this week. The first thing I'd like us to note is that gentleness comes from a humble heart. Gentleness is not something which is out there on its own that we can just aspire to or try and develop. Gentleness is the fruit of something deeper Gentleness is a quality of God, a quality of Jesus, a quality of the Holy Spirit, an attribute, as the theologians say. And by the Spirit, it can be communicated to us, and we can be gentle too. The word that's translated gentleness here in in these verses in Galatians 5 has a range of senses, and it is particularly characteristic of Humility. This word, praetis, is in in one Bible dictionary described as being the quality of not being overly impressed with one's own self-importance. Now that might seem a bit strange. We're talking about gentleness. What is self-importance and not thinking too much of yourself got to do with gentleness? Well, if I can give you a wee illustration... I wonder if you've seen in the news some time ago a video clip of... There's a fly annoying here. (laughs) It's the first time we've had a fly in here. (laughs) Seems to like me. (laughs) Um, If you've seen a video clip of Boris Johnson knocking over a boy in Japan playing rugby, it's... Well, The Guardian describes it as... Boris Johnson's over-exuberance on the sports field was in evidence again on Thursday when he flattened an opponent in what was supposed to be a casual game of street rugby in Tokyo. Worse still for the Mayor of London, the player he bulldozed to the ground as he hurtled down the pitch, ball in hand, was a 10-year-old schoolboy. As Boris put it, we've just played a game of street rugby with a bunch of kids and I accidentally flattened a 10-year-old on TV, unfortunately. You wonder whether he was more concerned about it being caught on TV than, than what he had done. But actually, the, 
the videos, the photos <clears throat> are actually quite shocking because they show that Boris is so full of his own self-importance that it doesn't matter who's in the way. It doesn't matter if it's even just a, a cultural photo opportunity. He is there and he just does what he wants to do and he just receives the ball, just tries to go for a touchdown at the end of the pitch and as a tiny Japanese boy was in the way and that didn't matter. He just knocked him to the ground. He was full of his own self-importance. And politically too, we see people who bulldoze others, their opponents, they bulldoze down arguments that are valid, but with poor responses. And we see people who certainly don't have that quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. You can just imagine if Jesus had been playing on the street with those boys playing rugby. He would have let the 10-year-old tackle him to the ground and make him feel as though he'd really succeeded. He would have been gentle, unlike Boris. The reason he would have been gentle is because he's not full of himself. He's not over-impressed with his own self of sense of self-importance. He is considerate of others. He doesn't put himself first. He has a servant heart. He has a humble heart. And we can think of many other politicians and bosses at work, family members, you know, people we know who they have a controlling personality. They want to get their way. And it doesn't matter how many people they hurt in the process. They don't have a culture of being humble, putting others first. I heard recently of somebody who went to another country to work and they found that the culture there just was very strange. As a manager, as a reasonably high manager, second to the boss in the company or in the workplace, they found that nobody, none of the staff in that country would do anything he said. They just ignored him or said plainly no when he told them what he wanted them to do. And he was advised, listen, the culture in this country is you just shout at them to get them to do what you want. That's terrible. We have a culture of having to be aggressive to try and get things done. That's not the gentleness that we're called to have. In some workplaces, bosses have a culture of bullying instead of gentleness. In our own lives, our self-importance, our self-centeredness, our self-gratification, we just put ourselves first. That's what sin does at the expense of others too often. But Jesus isn't like that. He is considerate of others. He has a servant heart. At the other end of the scale to people who are self-important, Jesus is humble. We read in Philippians 2 that we're told, not don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore he was exalted to the highest place and everyone will acknowledge that he is Lord one day. Believers will acknowledge it willingly. Unbelievers will acknowledge it reluctantly. But the point is that gentleness does not come out of thin air. Gentleness is not something we just pray for and hope just materializes. It's a practical outworking of having a humble heart, of putting others first, of not thinking too highly of ourselves, (coughs) of not being self-centered. If we want to develop gentleness in our character, we first need to change our outlook and have an attitude of putting others first. Of course, in some cultures, there's a mildness that appears to be gentleness, but it's not true gentleness. It's a pragmatic gentleness. In the same way that some people, instead of being aggressive in your face, they can be passive-aggressive, to get their way, to let you know that they're not uh, in a good relationship with you. So too, there can be a false gentleness that appears to be the real thing, but at heart, it's somebody who is self-centered, but just knows pragmatically, if I do, if I ask and try and get things done in a kind way, I'll get my will done. But at heart, it's a self-centeredness that is appearing to be gentle. It's not from a heart of humility, a heart of putting others first. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness towards others that is grounded in a heart like Jesus. A heart that would put others first, defer to their preferences, even willingly be self-sacrificial, not demanding our rights, but focusing on others being blessed first. That's what the focus is when when Paul says in Philippians 2, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. At one end of the scale, we've got the bulldozer, the bully, the self-centered, the controlling. At the other end of the scale, we've got those who are gentle because they have a humble heart. They put others first. Jesus is gentle. And as Dane Ortland points out in his book, Gentle and Lowly, gentleness is not something simply that Jesus does. It's something that Jesus is. Jesus himself tells us, he calls us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the reason he gives is, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. As Ortland puts it, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of Man pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, We are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We're not told he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly 
in heart. He writes that Jesus is meek, humble, and gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, not reactionary, not easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. His point really, I think, needs to be taken on board that this is, I think, he's right, this is the only place I can certainly see. He points out this is the only place where Jesus tells us what he is like, what his heart is like. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And he encourages us, and he says this, not simply that we would know a little more about God, but that we would not be fearful in coming to him. He is not judgmental. He is gracious. He is loving. He is kind. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He tells us this so we will come to him so that when he calls, come to me, we won't be afraid of him. But we will see his gentleness. When we think of people in power, they're usually aloof, they're usually inaccessible, they're not interested or sensitive to the issues of those who look up to them. Worldly leadership is power-hungry, self-centered, praise-orientated, money-centered, what Jesus reveals about himself about his heart he who is sitting on the throne on the right hand of the father is that he is humble in heart he is gentle and lowly he's compassionate towards us and because of our weakness because of our brokenness he is gentle with us and he calls us to come Matthew tells us that the words which Isaiah prophesied were fulfilled in Jesus Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. The Father is speaking. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. He isn't going to come and put himself first. That's not the way he works. That's not his ministry on earth. That's not his ministry now in heaven. Instead, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. (coughs) If you've grown up somewhere near the sea, you will be familiar with, or if you're familiar with, sort of boggy fields. You'll know what reeds look like. They are a bit like dandelion stalks. They don't have anything solid in the center. They have an outer skin, which is all that supports them. A tree has bark on the outside, but solid wood on the inside. If you dent the outside of a tree, it doesn't damage it that much. It really, It's still strong. But a reed... When you damage the the outside of a reed, but it's got no strength, it just falls over. It's weak. And by using the illustration of a bruised reed, he will not break. What Jesus is saying is 
that even to the most weakest person there is, no matter how broken or no matter how frail mentally, spiritually we are, he is sensitive to us and he calls us and he will not crush us. Just like a light, uh, a, a candle flame that is, it's almost extinguished by the force of the wind that has come in. It's almost about to go out. Those who feel as though they're, they can't almost go on in life anymore, their life is almost over, it's, it's almost about to be extinguished. Jesus comes and he says, he calls us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. No matter how damaged we have been, no matter how broken our lives have been, no matter how much others have done to us because of their sin, or how much we have done to others because of our sin, no matter whether we're broken by the impact of sin, or broken because of the guilt of sin, Jesus calls us. He doesn't write us off. He doesn't say we're too far gone. He cares about us. Even though we're weak, he calls us in his compassion and his humility and his lowliness. He gently calls us to come to him, to give us hope, to restore our souls, to restore our minds. No one is too weak or vulnerable or broken for Jesus. And no one is too broken by sinfulness to receive his forgiveness either. We see in the reading earlier that we had that Jesus took time out of his business, out of what he was doing, to go to the house of Jairus, which was a fair wee trip away, to heal his daughter. He was ministering in the crowd, but then a trip, that's okay. But as he was about to go on that trip, a woman touched him. And there was another situation. He, he had time for her as well. She not only had suffered bleeding for many years, she would spent all her money on people who were more interested in taking her cash than really providing healing for her. She had come to Jesus at the end of herself. And as somebody who had a bleeding problem, anybody who had such a problem would have been ritually unclean back in under the law of Moses and would have to stay away from people otherwise if they touched her they would become ritually unclean and couldn't go into the temple she would be ostracized effectively like a leper and Jesus could have easily recognized okay the power has gone out for me somebody's been healed that's great but he knows as a son of God he would have known who it was that had touched him. He didn't need to find out the name of the person. It seems more likely that the reason he asked who touched me was not so that he would be more informed, but that the person would come out so that the woman would actually, in the community, say, I've been healed. That she would come forward. That she would be restored, not only in her physical health, but in her place in the community. She needed healing, not just physically, but in terms of relationships with others too. And Jesus does that by asking, who, who touched me? He was sensitive 
to her needs in her years of brokenness, he restores her gently. He goes on to Jairus and he gets the news, your daughter's dead. But Jesus encourages him. He gently says to him, don't pay any attention to that. And he goes and he pays no attention to the crowd. He goes in and he heals her and takes her by the hand. He doesn't just command that she gets up. He takes her by the hand in a gentle way. And then he, sensitive to her needs, instead of saying, look, look what I've done. Brilliant, you know, here's another one, another miracle. He's not full of himself. He's concerned for her. She needs something to eat. Give her something to eat, he says. And when when that's done, he, he, he tells the parents, listen, don't be making a big deal of this. I'm not here to make a name for myself. Don't tell people about this. He wasn't seeking fame and fortune. He wanted to keep his his identity, in a sense, a secret, a messianic secret, it's called. Because his time had not yet come. He had come to live a life on earth in our place, an obedient life. He came to die on the cross. His time for glory was not yet. He had a gentle and lowly and humble heart. Have we known his gentleness in the call of the gospel? Have we known his gentleness as we place our trust in him? He calls us to entrust our lives to him without reservation into his care. And we have God's word that gives us all that we need to know that he will receive us, that he does care for us, that his offer to come to me, all you hear weary and heavy laden, is not not something that is false. It's something that is genuine. The most humble and sensitive and caring person that has ever lived called us to come to him. He calls us to come that we might know the the restoration of our relationship with the Father. That we might know the, the strength, the renewal that we have longed for in our souls. The strength of the Holy Spirit giving us life and vigor. The healing that we need. A bruised reed he will not break. In terms of lives changed, Kristen Burke writes about a couple who experienced the gentle restoring that comes from trusting in Jesus. Shauna's husband was still wasn't home from a Saturday night partying. It was a very common thing for Rick to be out all night. And she said, I always knew there was unfaithfulness. She was at home with her three-year-old son. She said, that bothered me naturally, but I was also worried that Rick was going to turn up someplace dead. And that morning I was at the end of my rope. As Shauna angrily washed the dishes in the kitchen, she noticed a man speaking on the TV. He was funny and warm and seemed to be speaking just to her. She said, I felt something come over me that I can't quite explain. I couldn't quit crying the end of the program it said join us and it gave the name of the church 
He said, I couldn't get my son dressed fast enough. On the way to the church, she had one purpose in mind, getting emotionally strong enough to kick Rick out. But God had a surprise for her. At the end of the message, the pastor invited people to give their lives to Christ. Shauna raised her hand. And three weeks later, Rick asked if he could join her at church. After four or five weeks of attending church with her, Rick recognized that he too needed Christ. Still, the following months weren't easy, she said. I was going to church and wanting to do right. He said, sorry. I was going to church and wanting to do right, but I kept doing wrong. It wasn't until a seminar that he finally came to understand the importance of repentance and accepting the forgiveness of God through faith in Christ. That day he went home and told his wife, I can be the husband you need me to be now. Their lives changed that day. They became active in their church and now serve as volunteers to to share the hope of God's restoration and his forgiveness with struggling couples. Rick says, when I think of how Jesus can change people, no matter how deep in sin they are, that overwhelms me. If he did it for us, he can do it for anybody. Jesus calls us to come to him, that our lives will be changed. He wants to bless us. He wants to change us. He wants to restore us to the Father. He wants to to change our lives for the better. He wants us to experience forgiveness, reconciliation with God, peace with God. And he wants us to be a blessing to others as well. If we're like Shona and want to put her hand up in a sense like she did to receive that forgiveness and restoration, at the end of every service, simply just come to me. Or speak to someone. If we're like Rick and have a deep sense of sin that needs to be forgiven. And it's a real burden upon us. We can simply come and speak to me or or someone else. Or simply come to Jesus. He calls us, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Heavy with a burden of sin. Heavy with a burden of brokenness. And I will give you rest. His burden is easy, is gentle, it is light. He gives us a burden of walking as we ought to walk, keeping God's laws, His commands, but they no longer become oppressive to us. We can do them in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 2 to 4. We can love others in the strength of the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit. And when we're walking as Jesus did, not putting ourselves first, being more considerate to others and ourselves, we will be more gentle to them as well. We will see the fruit of the Spirit being worked out in our lives as Jesus lives in us, as we have more of his character. But it needs to be pointed out That Jesus' gentleness in the gospel is not unlimited. 
It's not unlimited in terms of its time span. It has a use-by date. It's interesting that <clears throat> in Matthew twelve twenty to 21, a bruised reed he will not break, as quotation from Isaiah, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. The gospel will be shared. The call to come to him will go out. But once he comes again to judge the world, that call will stop. The time for the opportunity to come to him will have gone. If we die before then, the opportunity will have gone. There is a limited time span for each of us to respond to this gentle call of Jesus. By his spirit, he's nudging people towards him. But the gospel has a use-by date. Once we're with Christ in eternity, there will be no more opportunity to turn to Christ. People will either be with him in glory or in condemnation in hell. When he returns, he'll judge the world, giving each person what they deserve. For those who are righteous in Christ, they will receive the inheritance that has been promised. For those who have sinned and not accepted Christ, they will be punished because of their sin. Don't mistake him, his gentleness doesn't mean that he's a big softy. Our desire to not be punished by him for our sin doesn't mean that he will avoid that on the judgment day. He will be a perfect judge. If we don't trust in him, as Spurgeon preached on these verses, his third point was that when Christ returns, there will be the termination of this gentleness, as he puts it. Termination of this gentleness towards sinners, but the continuation of this gentleness towards everyone who has trusted in him. He preached that a God of all mercy and no justice would no long run be a dreadful thing just as a judge who never punished crime would be the worst possible magistrate for any nation. And yes, the the very instincts of our nature make us feel that sin must be punished in due time. The best emotions of the most saintly spirit coincide with the belief in future retribution, Spurgeon writes, or preaches. In fact, If we don't understand the full wrath of God on sin, on unrepentant sinners, then we can't understand his love and his gentle towards us us in Christ. As Ortland says, the more robust one's felt understanding of the just wrath of of Christ against all that is evil, both around us and within us, the more robust our felt understanding of his mercy. If we think his judgment is little, then we will think that his forgiveness is little. But the more we see the seriousness of sin and the judgment that we deserve, the more marvelous his grace and his mercy and his gentleness towards us becomes. 
He calls us to experience his gentleness now so that we won't experience his toughness later on in judgment. (coughs) (coughs) If we have trusted in him, let's walk more the way we ought to, in the spirit. Let's follow him more closely. Let's put to death the old nature. Let's crucify, take up our cross daily, put self on the cross, put the old sinful nature on the cross and follow him by walking in the spirit. Let's turn to him in praise for his love and for his gentleness to us. Let's turn in our hearts to him for forgiveness for our sins. Let his gentleness towards us live in our hearts as we don't think of ourselves first, but as we humbly considerately put others first thank God for the gentleness of Jesus and we thank him that by his spirit that we can walk in that gentleness too let's pray Lord we thank you that even though our sin is maybe just a a small sign of the the attitude of our hearts against you Lord, our sin is deeper and more serious than we realize. Lord, your grace and your mercy and your love and forgiveness are deeper, Lord, than we could imagine. And we thank you for your gentleness, your gentle and lowly heart. We thank you that you call us to yourself. And we thank you, Lord, that you have done all it takes so that we can come to you. And you just ask us, to come, to trust. And you've encouraged us. You've done all you can. Lord, we pray that we will come to you, that we will draw close to you, that we will stay close with you, and that we will encourage others to trust in you as well, and that we will treat others the way you would, with a gentleness and from a gentle and lowly heart. And we ask this, In Jesus' name, amen.